More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, second hour, Clay and Buck kicks off. And as you know, we got another day of the Trump trial with the Trumpster showing up himself. Donald Trump is, in fact, there and he is uh, doing what he does. He is a one man show, always and everywhere. Uh, He got a little. Um, how do I put this? He he let his feelings be known about Letitia James, the attorney general, and about the judge, Arthur Angoran, who is presiding over this case. Here's let's start first with this Trump saying what he really thinks about this trial on day three. Play clip two. She brought the case under the statute that has never been used for a thing like this before, ever. We're not entitled to a jury, because if I had a jury, even though it's in New York, and I think I'd be fine with New York, but if I had a jury, we'd win this case very easily, but I don't have a jury. And you see what's happening. This is a railroad, and it's the beginning of communism in our country. This is the beginning of communism. The beginning of communism in our country. Uh, it certainly is a massive leap forward in the weaponization for political reasons of prosecutors and judges. That's for sure, given what we see going on here. I'd also note, Clay, this judge, particularly Judge Engeron, uh, who, as we noted, seemed to be very pleased to be on camera recently yes. right, when the cameras came up. Uh, but this is a flashback to 2015 with this same judge speaking about giving you a sense of his uh, judicial philosophy when it comes to juries. Play one. Now, I'm going to say something controversial. Even while I'm being taped, juries get it wrong a lot. That's my own opinion. I do only civil trials, personal injury cases, contract disputes. But I've had situations where, like, oh, my, my heaven's sake, how could they have thought that? Well, I have a tool that I can deal with that. It's called judgment notwithstanding the verdict. I can say there is no possible way that a reasonable jury would have reached that conclusion. And, all right, 
Am I following the law or am I making law? Okay, I'm following law, I'm, I'm an impartial referee, but it's hard to factor out my own emotions. Hard to factor out his emotions. We know he doesn't like Trump. We know that there's uh, a part of him that likes to talk about how he will overrule jury verdicts, which I know judges can do that. They can set aside a jury verdict. That is part of the process. But um, you get the sense, Clay, that we have an anti-Trump activist judge, get that sense for a number of reasons, providing over this Trump civil case. Yeah, look, on the judge overriding a jury verdict, the most frequent time that I see it, and again, it's civil, not criminal, is let's say there's a dispute and the jury comes back and they say, we're going to award the defendant $250 million uh, for something that is nowhere near that level of compensation that's deserved. And a judge basically just says, yeah, I'm going to nullify this verdict. Because he's basically what he's doing is... On appeal, many of these verdicts will get struck down anyway uh, in a plaintiff law context. I don't know because I'd hear the full context. I'm guessing that's kind of what he's talking about because he's a civil court judge. And so sometimes judges see juries render verdicts that are completely indefensible under the law in terms of damages. Again, he's not a criminal uh, judge. But when you are sitting there and making the rulings that he did as a matter of law before this trial even started, I think it's fair to say that he is a a Trump hater. And I think it's fair to say, generally speaking, that if you look at the judges that Trump has drawn, the only one who seems remotely fair that I have seen so far is the South Florida judge. Um, she seems her rulings, I'll look at them and I'll say, okay, like this is somewhat of a reasonable middle of the road ruling in New York city. You got a Trump hating judge, uh, for the Alvin Bragg case. It appears you got a Trump hating judge on the civil lawsuit that is going on right now. Certainly Chutkin in, uh, in Washington DC despises Trump with every fiber of her being uh, and in Atlanta, we'll see. It doesn't seem like I would say that guy is, uh, is closer to somewhat reasonable than the other judges. Here's the problem, Buck. If we have any indication at all that a judge has animus for the defendant in a case, that judge shouldn't be sitting on the, on the trial because there are so many decisions that have to be made. You need a judge who is studiously impartial that is going to make the defense and the prosecutor unhappy sometimes with the rulings that they are going to put out. And I would say this. Jack Smith unhappy with any of the rulings he's gotten from Judge Chutkin in uh, in D.C. yet? There's been a lot of motions, a lot of arguments. He unhappy with any of it, Buck. He's done uh, very well with this. This this judge has been... Quite favorable to all things Jack Smith. And, and I would, if you take it, you know, uh, in, into your own life, judges have to make really difficult decisions on a regular basis. If they always side with one side, it's not a guarantee that the judge is biased. It's a pretty strong indication. And given the fact that how many people in America do you think don't have an opinion about Donald Trump at all, Buck, percentage-wise? No opinion one way or the other. Uh, 
10%? Uh, yeah, maybe, right? And that, that might be high. Although I would love if there, if there are 35 million people in America roughly right now who have zero opinion of Donald Trump. I'm actually fascinated by that. More so almost than the people who love and hate him. Like you've watched the Trump train, the Trump experience for eight years now. And you still have no real opinion? I mean, more power to you, I guess. I bet a lot of those people are just so busy they're not paying attention. Most judges certainly have strong opinions one way or the other. And in our social media era, Buck, it's so easy to find out everybody's opinions because people are constantly sharing those opinions that otherwise might not have been public. But Chutkin, like, I don't understand how she's allowed to sit on this trial. From the bench... She has basically said that Donald Trump fomented an insurrection in some of the punishments that she has put forward for the January 6th defendants. Once you have made that public pronouncement from the bench, I don't see how you haven't clearly established that you're biased against Trump. To me, she should not be on this case. But as we've talked about, and I think we've talked about it off air, judges have egos. Judges want to get the biggest possible case that they can because they want the attention on them Because if you are a judge, what do you basically believe? That you have impeccable judgment. What you are essentially saying is, that's the job, right? Yeah. That's the job. I can look at all these facts and I can render the best possible outcome better than almost anyone. That's my skill. So if you have them say, yeah, I shouldn't get the biggest case of my career, in some way they're seeing that as an attack upon the very foundational ability that they believe justifies them having the job in the first place. So I don't think it's a coincidence that no judge has said, yeah, you know what, I'm conflicted out here. I shouldn't be in this case. But unfortunately, I think this is going to become a bigger and bigger issue, and I think certainly the challenge is going to be, Buck, the gag orders. I I, I think people need to prepare themselves for this. Everybody's focused on what is the impact of the trial going to be. I'm actually right now more focused on are they going to hold Trump in contempt for what he says about what I believe are contemptible charges being brought against him which is big because we're in the middle of a presidential election. You can't distinguish between the political and the legal right now. And so when they try to clamp down on what Trump can say from a legal perspective, they are actually directly attacking his political process as well. And I'm telling you, once we turn into 2024 and it gets closer to that March trial in D.C., Jack Smith is going to try to uh, keep Trump from being able to comment on this trial and he may try to even put him in prison over what he says before there's any verdict at all in the case. But this is part of why I've said, do you think there's any chance they'll put Trump in a cell? Maybe they won't put him in a cell for a conviction that would theoretically go on for years, but contempt, uh, contempt of court? Is that, is that a possibility given Donald Trump's penchant for saying what he feels like saying irrespective of the consequences? Buck, here's the question that nobody seems to answer. We've asked, uh, be able to answer. We asked Julie Kelly this, who knows more about the January 6th defendants than anybody. If we presume that this Jack Smith trial is going to start in March, let's say it's going to be over sometime in June. That seems reasonable if that were to happen. If Trump is convicted, are they going to try to put him in handcuffs and lead him out the moment that the conviction is announced and take him to some form of confinement? Again, these are the kind of questions that and then does the how does the how does the secret service handle that these are the kind of questions again my uh, my bet is that he gets home confinement if he were convicted and they try to restrict his movement to Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster or wherever he is 
But these are the kinds of questions that Democrats have created that there are no easy process answers for. And every day that we get closer to that trial beginning, presuming that it happens in March, and I still have my doubts about whether we'll be able to go to trial, but I think that's right now the New York City case is, is scheduled first, right, Buck? But I think that Alvin Bragg will step out of the way for Jack Smith would be my guess. The moment that that trial starts, and I think they'll drag it on, who knows how long it'll take to get a jury seated. I just told you off air that they've already managed to seat a jury for Sam Bankman-Fried's case, which is officially going to begin in earnest now. Jack Smith is going to try to move this thing as fast as he possibly can. Chutkin is going to be allied with Jack Smith. That eventually leads to a decision having to be made if this jury convicts, which I think in Washington, D.C., they will. This is what I've been saying all along. What do they do? If you had a normal judge that cared about common, uh, regular procedure and who was being fair-minded, there would be a much greater likelihood that Trump would be able to extend this out and, and everything would, you know, fall along the lines of the election really determining everything because he'd be able to delay. This judge is not allowing that delay and this judge is not going to recuse herself. And there's really nothing in the system that is going to stop any of that. I mean, maybe they'll go to the appeals court for some of this, but I find that very unlikely. I was skeptical that they would even move the Georgia cases to the federal court, not federal jurisdiction per se, but to the federal courthouse uh, because of the way that works with federal employees so that the states can't just sort of harass them if they're actually doing their jobs. As you mentioned yesterday, so far, judge has said no. Yeah. You can't do that. And I, so, I do think... Uh, that the federal case in D.C. is the one that they need to be the most focused on trying to fight. Because I think it's the only one that has a chance to be done before the election happens in November. I, I think there's, yes, and I think there's a very <clears throat> good chance that you will end up with a jury in D.C. You will have a judge who's doing everything possible to stack the deck against Trump, and you will have a jury in D.C. that will be willing to find Trump guilty of, you know, anything. It doesn't really matter what the charge is, what the specifics are. I think that he has become so polarizing uh, and liberals hate him so much that in a left-wing stronghold like Washington, D.C., getting a number of jurors who truly despise him to the point where they just want to see him convicted, uh, regardless of the facts, is very, is very high. Um it's very high. So I, I am, con- I've been concerned about that one all along. And, uh, I do believe that th- their goal would probably be house arrest of Marlago, but think about that. Then they would get to, he's a convicted felon. He can't really campaign. He's stuck at Marlago. They're going to say that they're being respectful of his role as a former president by not putting him in a prison cell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the house arrest maneuver for them isn't crazy everybody if they can get this trial through so we need to see this coming ahead of uh ahead of time and and i think make the necessary precautions and preparations for it all right support u.s funded resources phoenix capital group invites you to invest in the heart of america with our domestic energy corporate bonds phoenix capital connects private investor principal with direct investments in domestic energy assets your venture in these U.S.-backed equities can gain up to 9 to 13% annual interest paid monthly. It's a vote of confidence in the American dream in the unwavering spirit that built our nation. 
To find out more, download the Phoenix Group's free investment guide today at phxonair.com. Investment in bonds have a certain amount of risk associated with it, and you should only invest if you can afford to bear the risk of loss. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Learn how you can diversify your investments and earn 9 to 13% APY. Download the Phoenix Group's free investment guide today at phxonair.com. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. On the front lines of truth. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Uh, by the way, I wanted to mention this. We've talked about polling, and I understand people get nervous on the polling. They don't believe it and everything else. But on this date in 2019, so October of 2019, Joe Biden in polling had a a 7.5-point lead over Donald Trump. That is October of 2019. So long time away, 13 months before the election, Joe Biden had a a 7.5-point lead He was not yet the nominee, but you get the idea. Today, exact same day, four years later, Trump is up 1.1% in the collective polling averages. That's according to Real Clear Politics. 
Tom Bevan just tweeted that out. I shared it. You can go look at it on my Twitter feed if you are somewhat curious about that. Also, Trump was asked whether or not he was interested in being Speaker of the House. Remember, the Speaker of the House does not have to be a congressman. That is not required. Here's what he said. Okay, so that's Trump responding on the speaker issue. Buck, I would bet, and I don't know if he's done it yet. I haven't been on Truth Social. I will be surprised if Trump doesn't endorse Jim Jordan as the next Speaker of the House. Trump and Jim Jordan have had a great relationship, Ohio's congressman. Um, by the way, he is going to come on the show at some point this week, uh, he said. Uh, he is in the process, as you can well imagine, of talking to pretty much everybody in the Republican caucus right now in the House to see where their votes are. But I would be surprised if Trump doesn't come out in favor of Jim Jordan as the next Speaker of the House. Steve Scalise has also evidently announced those are the only two that are out there. I think both of those are very good options. I think I know Jim Jordan well. I think he would do a very good job strategically. That's who I would pick if I were in the House right now. That's who I would vote for as Speaker. I bet Trump is going to come out in favor of Jim Jordan. That would be my bet before all is said and done in this process. My pillow. They're excited about the overwhelming customer responses to My Pillow 2.0 design, temperature regulating thread. Uh, no more tossing, turning. The My Pillow 2.0 will take you straight to Lala Land in no time. Uh, and you'll love it. We have them all over the Travis household. You're going to love it right now. Queen size My Pillow, less than 80 bucks for a limited time. You can get it for just 39.99 with our names. Play in Buck as the promo code. King size pillow, just 10 bucks more, 49.99. Like every MyPillow product, Pillow comes with a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. You get two months to make sure this new MyPillow is right for you. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special square to get the queen-size MyPillow for $39.99, king-size for 10 bucks more. Enter the promo code Clay and Buck. You can also call 800-792-3269 to get your MyPillow 2.0. Today, MyPillow.com. They've made an arrest... Uh, of an 18-year-old who identified right now as the person of interest in the stabbing murder of a uh, Brooklyn community organizer and an activist named Ryan Carson. A lot of people have seen it. It's gone viral. The video has been online now for uh, over 24 hours. And what you see is this individual in uh, I believe the Bed Stuy, Bedford Stuyvesant area of Brooklyn at about three o'clock in the, or four o'clock in the morning, actually. So a, a time that being on the streets is just unfortunately the case. Being on the streets at four o'clock in the morning, you're more likely to come across problems. Uh, you're more likely to be the victim of a crime then. 
um, this individual who is now under arrest said, you know, what the bleep are you looking at? Uh, Carson was with his girlfriend and the individual then uh, just pulled out a knife and, and stabbed him to death. And this has, uh, especially for New Yorkers, but uh, also around the country, this kind of senseless violence. I mean, Clay talked a lot yesterday about what happened in Chattanooga and how that has really hit home for so many people. Um, and it, it's a real gut punch. I mean, there are stories you read and you just, your your humanity demands that you feel like your day is a little, you know, your day is a little rougher after just knowing that something like that could happen. And in this case, in, in Bedford-Stuyvesant, you have uh, totally random, effectively, totally random murder of somebody who, including uh, his girlfriend who was there on the scene, were both um, very anti-police and very left-wing in their belief systems based on what you see online. Now, that doesn't change anything about the heinousness of the crime against uh, Mr. Carson. Um, and I don't bring it up for, for any purpose along those lines. I talk about it, Clay, just because there, there's reaching, I think now that we are reaching a, a phase in this where the bad ideas have gotten so bad that even people who hold them, who think that they will generally be exempt from the consequences in these cities are finding out that that's not true, that the crime and the violent crime specifically has gotten to a place where it can happen to you anywhere in some cities. And certainly 4 a.m. on the streets of Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn is a dangerous place to be. And we need more cops. We need more law enforcement. We need uh, uh, something of a societal reset toward law and order in these places. And the expectation that uh, crime will be punished and that people can finally feel safer on the streets. We basically adopted the idea that it's racist to put criminals in prison because too many criminals are black. I mean, let's be honest. That is what the Democrat Party decided. In the wake of George Floyd, but they had been working on it for some time, they had been arguing that our justice system was racist because there were too many black people being put in prison. That's the reality. And yesterday's story that I talked about, Chris Wright, 38-year-old father of three. He had an eight-week-old. He went to his 20th anniversary at Baylor High School, which is a prominent high school in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. And while he was attending that 20th uh, anniversary, the reunion, he was shot in the head, murdered in cold blood by a guy who had been arrested 66 times. Yesterday, Buck, we talked about Washington, D.C. is in the grips of a massive increase in violent crime. Murders are up 30, uh, 38%, I believe, over last year. Over 200 people have been murdered in Washington, D.C. Never happened in the 21st century. We're only in October. Way more people are unfortunately going to be killed before the year is out. The average number of times that an arrested murderer has been arrested before, 11. What are we doing? The, the people who are committing violent crimes, we know who they are. Police know who they are. 
It's not a surprise. We're not talking about somebody suddenly snaps and out of nowhere they commit the first crime of their life. Those are difficult crimes to stop. No one would argue against that. Guy's been arrested 66 times, Buck, in Chattanooga. Several times for violence, for firing guns at people. And the idea that he suddenly decides to shoot somebody, this is not a random act of violence. This is a violent predator who shouldn't have been on the streets. And I get what, what's the criminal history? Have they released it yet of the guy who stabbed the, the person in New York City? Um, he, he has, let me see, I'm pulling up right here. I bet that this is not a first time violent criminal offense for him either. Um, it very rarely is. Again, an average of 11 times in DC. Double-digit arrest is, on average, what happens when we finally catch one of these murderers. And the truth of the matter is that violent crime is not committed evenly. We've talked about this on the show before. It's like you can't even mention it because people are afraid, oh, my God, it's racist to share facts. No. Black men represent 6% of the United States population. Black men commit over half of all murders. Most of their victims are black men. 6% of the population is committing over half of the murders. We know that. We know when murders are occurring, that's a reliable criminal data point. Are you not allowed to point that out? Should we not arrest murderers? Black men commit wildly disproportionate acts of violent crime. It isn't racist any more than it is sexist to arrest men. And that's why I always come back to this argument, because it really floors everybody Women don't get arrested for violent crimes because they don't commit very many violent crimes. It's not sexist that 95% of people arrested for violent violent crime are men. Black men create wildly out of proportion of their population more violent crime than you would expect. They represent 6% of the American population. They commit over half of all murders. It's not racist to point that out, but it's like you're not even allowed to say it. If you're going to address acts of violent crime... Black men are going to be disproportionately arrested because they commit disproportionate amounts of violent crime. That's not racism. This led to a a lot of the Soros prosecutor mentality and the narrative of mass incarceration and defund and even abolish police. They look at these numbers and they say, you know, the D.C. uh, prison system, for example, the New York City prison system is about 90 percent black, the inmates on any given day are about 90% black. And they look at this and they say, that is the product of a racist system. And the only way they they felt uh, they could deal with that, or they thought the best way to deal with that, was to just have fewer people in general held in prisons. And one of the uh, best examples of how this works out in practice is that you have, in a place like Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, the DA there, uh, they talk a lot about gun violence and the need to get illegal guns off the streets, but in something like half of illegal handgun possession cases in Philadelphia, they dismiss the charges. So they're saying we need to stop the guns, we need to stop gun violence, but the most likely pathway to achieving some kind of reduction in gun violence would be when somebody, especially if they're a gang member, they have a previous criminal record. A lot of these were felons, Clay, in possession of a firearm, which is an additional uh, statutory violation. I think it's actually federal at that point. Um, they dismiss these charges. 
and then they and then they tell us, oh, we didn't have the highest murder rate in Philadelphia, I think in the city's history last year, maybe it was the year before, because of bad policy. They were yeah. saying it was because of COVID. Does everyone remember that? Oh, yeah. That oh, yeah. was what the left-wing intelligentsia were promoting. It was COVID. The other point I think needs to be made here, Buck, is there's a lot of focus. Oh, we're over-penalizing people. These are nonviolent offenses. A lot of people are charged with eight different crimes or nine different crimes, and they then will plea it all the way down to a lesser charge. If you're in jail for trespassing or you are convicted of some sort of, and I'm just using that as an example, of a lower-level misdemeanor offense, it doesn't mean that you are nonviolent. It might well be the case that your district attorney uh, was able to get that lowered because the idea is your public defender, the district attorney, was willing to lower it because they're not trying to put people behind bars. So this whole argument of, well, a lot of this is nonviolent in nature, no, it isn't. And and the other thing we should point out, too, is when you talk about who's doing the crime, I said 6% of the population is black, and they do uh, commit over half of all murders. That's a factual reality. But the vast majority of that 6% is innocent and law-abiding. It's a tiny pinprick of that 6% that's actually committing the crimes there's almost no one over the age, for instance, of 50 that commits an act of violent crime as a percentage of the population. It's almost 16 to 40-year-old men across the board. And it's a tiny pinprick of those guys, too. So the people who are the victims here of black violence are black violence. But the only time we care about black violence in this nation is when a white person is involved in committing an act of violence against a black person. The media comes and they cover it. Black guy shooting another black guy doesn't get a, an ounce of attention. So we're not actually going and solving the root cause of violence when the media is focused on a tiny pinprick of violence. Like if I wish we could eliminate every act of cross-racial violence in America. If we did, only 7% of black murders would go away. Because 93% of the time, the murder of a black person is another black person. So we're not even talking about the biggest issues of crime because a lot of woke white people have decided it's racist to even recognize what's going on. And the unfortunately, Buck, the people who end up losing out are often poor and black who end up the victims of all this crime. It's like you're not even allowed to say it. It's crazy. I don't even hear it. Do you hear any Republican presidential candidates say this? No. Have you heard one person say that? Like, just share the facts. You can't solve a problem without acknowledging where the problem comes from. Fires me up. Some of the best family times are often when stories get told and retold. When the scrapbooks come out, the old pictures get passed around, the family movies spontaneously start playing. Family get-togethers can often turn into a laugh fest just in the process of revisiting the funny, silly things that happen which are captured in a photo or video. That's why our friends at Legacy Box exist. They've become the nation's largest digital transfer company for old media, like videotapes, film, and photos. That's the best way to share all those memories, digitizing them for everyone's mutual benefit. It's really easy to do. They make the whole process super simple. We've both relied on Legacy Box to digitally transfer our family memories, 
And with Thanksgiving next month, what better time than now to do it for your family, too? So if you have old tapes, print photos, or even film reels, send them off to Legacy Box in Tennessee. They'll carefully transfer your stuff, send you the new files, and return the originals safe and sound. You owe it to your family to safeguard your memories. Don't let your photos continue to fade. Become your family's hero and save them before it's save them before it's too late. Visit legacybox.com slash buck to get forty percent off. That's legacybox.com slash B U C K. Need a break from politics? A little comedy to counter the craziness? So do we. The Sunday Hang, a weekend podcast to lighten things up a bit. Find it in the Clay and Buck podcast feed on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing Media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More than a movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, uh, second hour of the show, rolling through. Hope all of you are having a fantastic Wednesday. Encourage you to go subscribe to the podcast and you can download the iHeartRadio app. Listen to this show anywhere in the country or indeed anywhere around the world. Gonna take some of your calls now. You can weigh in in the third hour, uh, as well as we're discussing the open speaker of the house job and many other issues that are out there. Uh, let's go right in order here. I've got them, uh, David in Wisconsin. What you got for us? Hey guys, uh, I guess just, you know, every dictatorship, um, putting their opponent in prison, 
And then uh, my other question for that was, is there no judge in this country that could uh, basically do the right thing and, and uh, tell people that this... Thanks for the call. The question is, who who reviews the judge, right? There will be multiple appeals that are filed in any Trump-related uh, uh, case, and there may well be appeals that are filed before anything happens in the Trump-related cases. There will be tons of motioning. This thing's not going to play itself out for sure for years. Uh, we'll be talking about the Trump-related legal issues. But, Buck, the challenge is, in the short term, what is the time frame under which we are going to have resolution before November? Democrats want to say that Trump is a convicted felon. That is their goal. Their best opportunity to do that is with the case, it appears, in Washington, D.C., with Jack Smith. That I've said I think one, if I were setting the over-under, is going to be completed by the time we get to uh, the, uh, the the trial. I think that one is the one that I would put on the over-under. I don't think the other cases are going to be resolved, but the polling reflects that there would be an impact if Trump is found guilty and in terms of how independent voters would respond, and that's the game plan. I think that it's very likely what we've seen so far would continue, which is as these trials play out and as the sense that Trump is unfairly targeted continues to grow, um, there will be more and more people who view this as a, effectively a statement that they have to make, and that is what their vote becomes, a, a rejection of this uh, kind of soft Stalinism uh, with the show trials. You know, the, it, it feels like the American version of show trials for Donald Trump. That's that's what I see this as, and, and I think that they've done... I don't like to use the term irreparable, but I do think they may have done irreparable damage to faith in in the judiciary system as a result of this. So, yeah, I think that's the concern. Let's take um, Jim in St. Louis. What's going on, Jim? Crime ridden St. Louis. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, with McCarthy, you know, he's he's part of the old guard, and people keep bringing up the percentage of the vote that you know, kind of ousted them, okay? That's a very good point. But the other percentage are the voters out here, Trump supporters and, and conservatives in this country, do not like McCarthy. Well, and you understand Trump had. supported McCarthy, right? He wanted McCarthy to be Speaker of the House. To a certain extent. No, he said, I want McCarthy to be Speaker of the House. I mean, he endorsed Kevin McCarthy's speakership. And that's one of the reasons that Kevin McCarthy ended up Speaker of the House. So, look, you cannot like Kevin McCarthy, but the idea that Trump didn't like Kevin McCarthy is not true. Trump wanted Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker of the House. I think Trump is going to endorse Jim Jordan before all is said and done. Right now, Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan are both announced candidates. We'll see how that plays out. But 96% of people in the Republican caucus thought that McCarthy was doing a good job and wanted to keep him. 4% of people did not. The 4% won. That's the reality. And we'll see whether those same rules are going to govern for whomever the next speaker is, because it doesn't take very many people being unhappy to remove you from office, as we just saw. Got a lot more coming up your way. We'll talk a little bit more about the migrants and much more. Stick around for more Clay and Buck. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. 
of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.